Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. And uh, let me uh, also add my uh, word of welcome to everyone this morning. If you're here in the building, uh, somewhere in the building, wherever you might happen to be, whether it's up here or up there or uh, working in the nursery or another place, welcome. Or if you're watching through a screen in these uh, unique times, it's always wonderful to have um, real people uh, in the building, and it's a, it's a blessing uh, to come to the Lord's table also. John 11, we're going to be looking at John 11, 20 through 36 this morning. I've got a couple of questions for you before we get started. As you have uh, heard, we are making our way to Holy Week. We are looking forward very soon, just around the corner, to Palm Sunday, to Gethsemane, to Good Friday, to Easter. And we've been looking at a a series of encounters, vignettes, relationships that Jesus is teaching through on the way to Holy Week. And this morning, he's going to answer a a couple of questions, and they're questions that that everybody who's ever walked the face of the earth has has asked. And I'll ask you, don't answer out loud, I know some of you would, I see you. Um, What do you believe? What, what What do you really believe? What are you staking your life upon? What do you trust to keep you going? I can stand on this. I know it's true. What's the answer for you? And then secondly, how do I face, how do I deal with suffering? With suffering, what do I believe? What do I trust? What is my hope in? What am I standing upon? What am I staking my life upon? And how do I face those times of difficulty, suffering, loss, and pain? Uh, Those are questions that we all face, we all have to answer, we ask. Those are questions that, that find us, that come after us. This morning, we're going to see Jesus answer those questions in a very real relational context of ministering to people. People who need to know what to believe and people who are grieving. People who are suffering. Ultimately, the answer to both is this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Praise God for that. Well, let's read our passage. John eleven twenty through 36. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. 
Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. May God bless to us the reading of his word. Come, Holy Spirit, and light up the word for us. We can see lots of things in this wonderful, well-known passage. I want to focus just on on a couple of things before we come to the Lord's table this morning. There's a truth here about us and about Jesus, a truth here about us and about Jesus. And there are some tears here. There are our tears, our sorrow, our grief, and The tears of Jesus, as we just saw, Jesus wept. The truth about us, in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews weeping, he was deeply moved, greatly troubled. Now, on the surface of this, this looks like uh, Jesus is responding to the grief in this scene, and he is, he, he is in a very real sense. We also see it down in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Deeply moved. Well, what is this deeply moved and greatly troubled? 
Again, on the surface, we might think he's responding or reacting to, to Mary. Actually, it, there's certainly empathy. There's certainly sympathy. Jesus weeps. But the Greek behind the term, the words, deeply moved in 33 and 38, actually means angry. It means outraged. It's a word that's often associated with the snorting of an animal. It's very uh, intense. And a lot of our translations sort of lose this. Um, Listen to uh, Eugene Peterson's the, The Message. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews sobbing, deep anger welled up within him. And in 38, then Jesus, the anger again welling up within him, arrived at the tomb. What's he angry about? (laughs) In the midst of this deeply moving scene, this scene of great grief, Jesus is angry. He's outraged. Jesus is angry and he is outraged at sin and death. This is what this is what the fall of our first parents Adam and Eve has wrought. This is what our fall and our sin has, has wrought. I'm not saying that they've done something, Lazarus did something specific in order to, to die. I'm saying Jesus is looking at this scene and saying, this is a fallen, sinful, dark world and he's angry about it. And he's going to do something about it. Yes, our first parents rebelled. Yes, we rebel. Yes, we often are, are, are running in the wrong direction. In a minute, we're going to get to run figuratively <laughs> to this table. And Jesus is going to meet us here. As he's meeting us through his word. I love the uh, story of a number of, of writers who were asked years ago by the London Times, they, they picked out um, philosophers, theologians, journalists, and they asked them a simple question, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? And uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, simply wrote back, and by the way, they got, they got tomes, long letters written back, a page after page after page. Here's what's wrong with the world, and here's how to fix it. And G.K. Chesterton writes back, Dear sirs, here's the question, what's wrong with the world? Dear sirs, I am. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. I love what what John Calvin says. Jesus approaches the grave of Lazarus, preparing for battle, saying the enemy did this. 
And this is the enemy that I've come to slay. Sin and death. This is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and praise God for it. He's going to do battle with our greatest enemies. And we're going to hear a lot about that. Holy Week. Let's call this furious love. Furious love. And Jesus is going to go to the cross and deal with this. The truth about Jesus and, and as we see in the passage, Mary and Martha both say the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And he, he goes on to teach, to explain to Martha. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It's the first passage that I always read every single time I do a funeral. Every single time. And, and Jesus, as we see here, he doesn't just get angry with sin. He's not just outraged. He's going to do something about it. He's going to sacrifice his very life in the place of sinners. But this is before Holy Week. This is before the cross. This is before Gethsemane. This is before sweating blood. We're on the other side of the cross reading this. He's saying something so profound to them and I'm sure they're not quite getting it. And it's present tense. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me. Everyone who lives and believes do you, world, do you, church, do you, Christian, believe this? Jesus is saying, I have the power over sin and death. And I'm here now. I'm the resurrection now. I'm the life now. I'm the eternal life now. It's found in a person. It's found in, in me. And yes, he will eventually raise Lazarus from the dead. He will raise from the dead, and so will you. So I like to say, Christian, right now you've got a born-again soul. Sometimes, some, at some point when Christ returns, you're going to have a born-again body, and you're going to live in a born-again new heaven and new earth for all eternity in the presence of Christ and his people. No more tears. No more broken bodies. Tears. Mary, as we see, is, is weeping. And it's very clear Mary doesn't need an argument. She doesn't need a debate. She doesn't need a defense of, of uh, theodicy. God's ways with men and the fall. She just needs somebody to be there. Isn't it fascinating when we have pandemics and we have tra great tragedies, how the, 
the atheists and the humanists don't roll up in their hospital trucks. It's the Christ-like, the Christ disciples, the Christ followers who roll up in the hospital trucks. She's not being asked to be strong and to be stoic. She's not even asking for anybody necessarily to fix it. You know, there's so much in life, you know this, there's so much in life that you simply cannot fix. You can't. Jesus is the only one who can fix it. This kind of circumstance can be very difficult for uh, fixers who want a a long-term strategic plan. Jesus just shows up and he weeps. He's there. You know, we've been looking at Job on Wednesday nights. Even Job's friends start out well. They recognize their dear friend and all the suffering that he's going through, and they sympathize with him. They weep with him. They know that he, he's going through a terrible time, a terrible tragedy, and they come and they sit with Job for seven days and don't speak a word. And then they... Then they go into arguing and debating and accusing. Isn't this a wonderful passage? I know all the, the jokes about the shortest verse in the Bible and, and all of that. But we could go on and on and on meditating on Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He's displaying, talking about, explaining his power over sin and death, and then he weeps. You think you get angry and sad about suffering and pain and sin. Look at Jesus. You think you struggle with Why does this happen? How does this happen? Suffering. Look at Jesus here, how deeply troubled he is with it. How angry and outraged. And how he experiences grief, enters into our suffering, enters into our grief. You love this, Psalm 56. Uh, speaking to God, you have kept count of my tossings and put my tears into your bottle. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely, he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. 
Jesus wept. That's what God does for us in Christ. That's who Jesus is. You remember, um, you might remember what happened after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The Pharisees and the scribes now conspire in chapter 11 now to kill Jesus and to kill Lazarus. We just felt bad for Lazarus. He's went through the whole process of dying. Now he's come back. He's going to have to go through the whole process of dying all over again. And people are trying to kill him. Jesus has power over sin and death. Love what Martin Luther says. You believe in the resurrection? Good. I am it. Open wide the eyes of your heart. Cling to me and say, you are my savior, resurrection, and life right now, today. Right now, today. Did something a little bit different uh, this Sunday. If you have a bulletin, uh, turn and look at the very back where it says sermon notes. Now, we're not going to read this together, but I'm going to read it, and I'm going to encourage you to take this home and treasure it. Some of you may not come from uh, traditions that use catechisms, which are just really teaching tools. And this is the, one of the most wonderful Reformation era Catechisms, the Heidelberg, in reference to Heidelberg, Germany, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the very first question says this What is your only comfort in life and death? That I'm not my own, that I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and set me free. From all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's magnificent. Take that home, stick it in your Bible, put it somewhere where you know it, where it it is, and refer to it. When you're down, when you're discouraged, when you're questioning, when you can't remember or (laughs) recall what you believe, or you're suffering. Finally, um, a few years ago, um, this is before Highlands, I was going to uh, to a doctor for a routine visit, you know, and you expect everything's going to be fine. I feel fine. And uh, so I go into the doctor, and I'd, I'd been experiencing some strange thing. I hadn't been able to sleep at night, and I'd had some night sweats and other things, but I didn't th- think much of it. Well, he came back and said, Brad, I think we might have a problem. looking at your blood tests, I think we might have an issue. We need to run some further tests, and they did further tests, and I had to go back every week 
And this took place over a period of months. And I don't know, I felt terrible for months. And, and all these tests, I couldn't quite figure it out. And there was a problem with my, my blood counts. And every test you can imagine. I, I really think that, uh, that with all the tests that I had, they, they tested it out of existence. So I actually, I'm better, I'm here, I obviously got through it, but, but, I'll remember one, I remember one day with a, with a scan, you know, if you've been through these various scanners, looks like a big white donut, and you get on the conveyor belt and you go into the big white donut and they take pictures. And as I was on the conveyor belt going through the scanner, on the underside of the scanner, the nurses had put pictures of their families. I don't know, maybe they were breaking a rule or something for you medical people. I don't know these things, I'm just a, I'm just a pastor. And looking up there, and they had, they had pictures of their families, their husbands, their kids. They had Bible verses. And, and right in the middle... Never forget this. I went home and wrote it down. What cancer cannot do. Cancer cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It cannot destroy peace. It cannot kill friendships. It cannot suppress memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot invade the soul. It cannot steal eternal life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Death is not a blind alley. It's a thoroughfare to eternal life. That's the truth. Even as we live this life of tears, Jesus, right now, is our hope, our resurrection, our life. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your word, all of your word. We thank you for the privilege of the table Lord, as we have prepared our hearts already and continue to prepare our hearts, we remember the answers to Martha. I'm the resurrection. Do you believe this? We remember the response to Mary. Jesus wept. We remember Jesus' outrage at death and how he comes to put death to death. He comes to deal with death once and for all. And even as we contemplate the broken body and the shed blood, Holy Spirit, will you move within our hearts and with our minds to draw us sovereignly and and graciously and full of mercy to Jesus Christ 
our resurrection, our life. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.